0: Luke chapter number 2. I want to simply to entitle this the Christmas story. And I want to try to underline three truths out of these 20 verses. Luke chapter 2, if you can and will, let's stand together. I want to read verses 1 through 20. The Christmas story. There will be a lot of us in our homes with our families this year. We'll read these verses that I'm going to read in the hearing of our family members We've done this for a lot of years in our home, and I'm sure you have too. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The Christmas story. Brother Chris sure, would you pray for us, please, brother? Amen. The Christmas story. I want to speak under three headings, if God be our helper. I'm interested in the providence of God. Concerning the Christmas story. I'm interested in the prophecies fulfilled concerning this Christmas story, and then the person of God in the Christmas story. Regarding the providence of God, I'm uh, easy to find where God's providence is seen in the traveling of Joseph and Mary. It's no accident they wind up where they wind up for the birth of Christ. In the prophecies fulfilled, I'm interested in the testimony of Scripture. In the promises of God, we find that they are yea and amen. They are true. All the prophecies of God. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the men was talking about uh, in the prayer room this morning the prophecies of God and the promises of God. And uh, I, I couldn't help but think of how the Scripture, where would we be without the Scriptures? We're preaching through Revelation on Sundays, did you know that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy? He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And then concerning uh, the person of God and the Christmas story, this truth is the truth that is supreme. In all your doings, don't forget Christ this Christmas season. In all your giving, don't forget the great gift that was given by him. Uh, In all uh, that you may find yourself about being and doing and partaking of remember Christ during this time. The challenge of us preachers when we come to this time of the year is settling in on a text that uh, will kind of encompass the whole of the Christmas story, right? As a matter of fact, it'd be easy to preach on the characters that are found here in uh, verses 1 through 20. Of course, there's Joseph. We won't take any time with him. But you think of how submissive he had to be in order to play his part in this role, to play his part in the Christmas story. You think about Mary and all that she had to do. She has the heart of a servant. When you consider uh, the shepherds, you think about how that they were lowly servants of the Lord, how that they too find their place in this story. Did you know that uh, shepherds were so lowly and so despised that they were not even allowed to offer a bit of testimony in a court of law. They were just considered to be peasant people. And yet here it is, these peasant people, that the Lord reveals himself to. Isn't it amazing how that he came to the poor and he came to the lowly? In order to lift us up, he in his highness, he, in his kenosis, he emptied himself and became low that we might be raised to the heights of heaven. And we praise his name for it. They were lowly people. They were busy people. The Lord uses busy people. They were obedient people, verse number 8 says. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then they're the first gospel preachers of the New Testament. You look at the beginning in verse number 15. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them uh, into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us down. Uh, go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that were uh, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Then verse number twenty says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things. That they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And then, of course, there's the angels. You had the announcement of the lone angel. You remember, it's just one angel uh, that uh, makes an announcement to the shepherds in verses 8 through 12. Uh, just, just one angel. But then you skip on down to verses 13 and 14. If you want to look at this with us, we'll read these two verses. There's not just the announcement of the angels, but the anthem of the angels. Verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. There's this thing, sometimes a preacher thinks he's found some new truth. And we'll say, well, now we talk about the angel singing. That, and then we'll go on to say there's no evidence of angel singing in Scripture. I think that's pretty good evidence right there. If They're not singing. They're sure enough praising the Lord, aren't they? And when you get to heaven, you're going to find the angels of God and the redeemed of God will in harmony praise the Lord. And the Lord gave to us when Jesus came into this world. I want you to consider with me, let's go back and read some of these verses. In verses 1 through 7, I want you to consider with me the providence of God in the Christmas story. Verses 1 through 7. And what you'll find in verses 1, 2, and 3 are what we would consider to be General movements seems like just the law of the land is operating. You know, just some simple things in life are taking place and transpiring, but then there are also particular movements, particular movements of God, and in this this is how God operates in the realm of his providence. God takes the ordinary and brings about extraordinary and then God takes the particular and brings it brings things down, boils them down to precision. To bring, about, uh, uh, to bring about his desire, his will. Verses 1 through 7, Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there were now a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone and to his own city. Now there are the general movements that's taking place here. Verses 4 and following. because there was no room for them in the end, the providence of God. In the first two or three verses, you learned that there was a decree that was sent out by Caesar Augustus. And the decree was that every 14 years, a Jewish male had to go back to the city of his father where he was born. And he had to report to a census. He had to give his name, the names of his family members. He had to list his property and had to list his occupation. It would seem that Caesar Augustus, when you come to chapter number 2, in the first few verses, it would seem to the natural eye that Caesar Augustus is in charge, yet God is in charge. A.T. Pearson said that history is his story. One of the past presidents of the United States of America, uh, President Garfield, said history is the unrolled scroll of prophecy. When you get to heaven, it will not be that man manipulated God But it will be that we'll be able to look back over history, look back over where God has brought us from and all that he's accomplished, and realize it was God had his thumb on man and not man having his thumb on God. I couldn't help but think of the difficulty of this journey uh, that was made. You remember in chapter number 1, verse number 38, the Bible says something about Mary. Where the Bible says, and Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it, uh, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. I guess Mary's song would have been, Where he leads me, I will follow. Or like the little child that we've uh, referred to on a number of occasions was going to get up and sing the song, uh, Where he leads me, I will follow. And the child got the words crossed up and said, What he feeds me, I will swallow. And so it was with Mary. She's a humble servant. Servitude is what is seen. I thought about the pain that Mary has left behind. When she leaves at Nazareth and begins to make her trek toward Bethlehem. Sometimes you know as well as I in the Christian journey we too have to walk away. We have to walk away from experiences. We have to walk away sometimes from what we would choose, but God chooses better, and he knows what is best. Don't you know there was much scorn that Mary walked away from when she leaves Nazareth? Don't you know there's much ridicule and mockery, a lot of stares and gazes. She's a young girl out of wedlock, but is now expecting a child. And so the Lord is leading her away from something, something where she has lodged in her past. There's the painful journey itself. This eighty miles journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Eighty miles. She's not escorted by a police escort. They don't take her there by ambulance. There's no comfortable SUV to lay a seat down on. But she rides the back of a donkey. When I think of the providence of God, I think of what God said to the Israelites through the pen of Moses in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 23. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which uh, uh, he's swearing unto our fathers. The word providence from, comes from a compound of two. Pro and video. The word or the compound pro means before, and video means to see. In other words, God in his providence, he's already prophesied. I'll touch on this in a a little bit more detail here in a moment. But he'd already looked down through time. He knew exactly where Jesus would be born, to whom Jesus would be born and when Jesus would be born. And in his providence he so arranges things to where he's at there just as though, just as he has given it through the hands or the pen of his, his prophets. Now think about what David wrote about the providence of God in the lives of his people. In Psalm 37 in verse number 23, we wrote the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. There's nothing comes our way but what God is not aware of it and much of it we believe to be ordered of the Lord himself. Do not ever forget, no matter where you are, even if you've been a place of despair. Today, child of God, God is busy working in your life. He's arranging. He rearranges. He brings people into our life. He removes people from our lives. Sometimes he arranges and then he rearranges in order to get us exactly, precisely where we need to be. In his will that he is where we need to be. His eyes upon his children. We are the apple of his eye. I'm reminded just now when the Lord spoke from heaven at the baptism of his only begotten, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That word beloved comes from the word agapitas. That's the plural form of the word agape, the God kind of love. Did you know whenever Paul wrote to the believers and he called them beloved, he used the same word, the agapitas. In other words, when God spoke at the baptism of Christ, he said, this is my agapetas, in whom I am well pleased. That word agapitas means hey, he's the one that I love above all that I love. And then when Paul would write his epistles and use the word beloved to address the saints that he would write to. Uh, beloved, he was saying that God loves you above all that he loves. I'm glad that I'm in Christ Jesus this morning and know him in the free pardon of sin. The general movements of God in verses 1, 2, and 3. He'll take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. He'll take even the devil, friend, and and use him in order to bring about his will. And then the particular movements of God, our beloved Caesar Augustus seems to be ruling, and yet God is overruling. That's the kind of faith. That's who I have my faith in this morning. The God who spoke, as Brother Chris opened us up this morning in speaking to us, the God who spoke, and it was. One of the reasons why we reject this theory of evolution is we don't believe there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. You remember God would create, and he would speak, and he would move, he would act, and then he would say, and it. It was good. And then he would say it uh, It was good after he would move again. And then when he concluded, he saw that it was very good. Now, it would not have been good if the devil and his imps had have already been cast out of heaven. We do not believe in the theory of evolution. It was good. Now, the devil messed things up, mind you, but God is still God and God is still ruling, no matter what the devil may do. No matter what the Democrats may do. Somebody say amen right there. No matter what Hollywood may proclaim and the liberal, liberals shout, our God is still moving upon the face of this earth and the lives of his people. And so there you have it in brief. The providence of God in the Christmas story. He gets them right to where they need to be. And that says something about the travel of Joseph and Mary. Then let me say something about the prophecies of God fulfilled in the Christmas story. This is a word uh, briefly about the testimony of scriptures. If you'll remember in our scripture reading last week, after the the program that the young people did, they did such a wonderful uh, job last Sunday. You remember we read a number of scripture last week in our hearing, and we started in Genesis 3.15 which is the first prophecy of the virgin birth of Christ. That verse says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. How the devil hates this truth. How hell hates this truth. How this world even hates this truth. And tries to smear our Lord, as though he was born of some, uh, some affair, some illicit affair that... That a girl of the Middle East had. That's not what God used to get his son here. The Holy Ghost of God moved upon the womb of Mary and placed the Christ child there. Yea, the Christ babe there. But in Genesis 3.15 we read of the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. You won't read of the seed of the woman in any other place in all of scripture. Beloved, you read of the seed of the woman here. It's the prophecy, the first prophecy in the Bible concerning the virgin birth of Christ. Ah, beloved, listen, when he writes here, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, he said there'll be a battle that'll go on, a vicious battle, but there's going to be a virgin birth take place. He said, uh, said, I'll put enmity between uh, thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You do know at the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ dealt a, a fatal head wound to the devil. Upon the cross of Calvary, he crushed his head. We are victors. Oh, Brother Percy Ray used to talk about a book, a Western he'd read, and he'd read it to, you know, quite regularly. One of his friends asked him, said, uh, said if you know how it's going to turn out, why do you go back and read it all over again? He said, because I'm thinking every time I come through it, I've already read the last chapter. And, oh, boy, if you knew what was in store for you, you'd quit while, the, uh, while you had an opportunity and get right. And I'm going to tell you, don't you wish the devil could see what we see? And possibly he does. Did you know the virgin birth is alluded to in the writings of Jeremiah? Jeremiah 31 and 22. Here's what the verse says. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. And then Isaiah 7 and 14, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, as we said last Sunday, some have suggested that the word translated virgin, that's the word Alma out of the Hebrew, that the word translated virgin, Alma, that it actually should read young girl. And, uh, but sad to say, that wouldn't be a sign just to say that a young girl conceived, just to say that a young girl gave birth. But the sign is that God would short-circuit all of nature, all of natural happenings, and that a virgin would conceive. A young girl that never been with a man. She would conceive and give birth to the darling Son of God. Micah 5, 2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now, Isaiah wrote his prophecy about the virgin birth of Christ 700 years, before, 700 years before his birth. So it is with Micah. Micah pinpointed the location 700 years before his birth. You'll notice with me in verse number 4 after Micah, after we just give you that verse. Notice with me the place of prophecy. The place of fulfilled prophecy, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee into the city of Nazareth, uh, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. There it is. Which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Do you remember Brother Jay and Amanda? Do you all remember we were in the Holy Land? Of course, there was that, uh, uh, that big Orthodox cathedral that was erected over there. But you all remember the larger cave, the little cave we went in? And our tour guide said, in all likeliness, he could have been born right here. I'm telling you, in my mind, I'm in that cave right now. Uh, Isn't it amazing how his body started out in the cave, as far as this world is concerned, and then it wound back up in a hewn-out cave, in uh, uh, in a tomb uh, in the side of a hill, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, fulfilled prophecy. What was it prophesied about Christ? Well, in Genesis 3.15 and Hebrews 2.16, it was prophesied that he would be a human, not an angel, and so it was. In Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, in Numbers 24 and verse number 17, he was to be a Jew and a Gentile, and not a Gentile, and he was. In Genesis 49, verse number 10, he was to be from the tribe of Judah, and he was. According to 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 to 17, He was to be a descendant of King David, and he was. Isaiah 7 and 14, he is to be born of a virgin, and he was. Micah 5 and verse number 2, he is to be birthed in Bethlehem, and he was. You'd almost think God wrote the Bible. The place of this fulfilled prophecy takes place in Bethlehem. Notice the place of further prophecy, verse number 7 and verse number 12. Verse number seven says, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse number twelve, And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. A place of further prophecy. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, somewhat of burial wrappings. You've heard me say this before. You've heard other preachers and your Sunday school teachers uh, deal with this before. He would have been wrapped somewhat mummy style. He's wrapped in his birth the same way he'll be wrapped in his burial. His crib points us to his cross. He has a special birth, uh, and he carries a special burden. I was reading over uh, one writer this past week, and he was talking about uh, in the day in which Christ was born. It was not unusual for a Jewish man or even a Palestinian to carry with him a gauze type of a, a wrapping. Because tra- a traveling back in those days would have been so treacherous and so difficult, so dangerous. That if a man died while he was out on his journey, those traveling with him would take from his, uh, from his girdle or take from a, a pouch that he would carry. They'd take those gauze type, those swaddling wrappings, and they would wrap the man's body. And out of respect to the man, they would give him as proper a barrel as they could. <clears throat> With that in mind, it's very likely that Joseph had, uh, number one, he had no place to to take Mary nor uh, for Christ to be lame. And, uh, beloved, uh, he has no place to put him and no way of taking care of him. It's very likely from his girdle he would have taken uh, these uh, swaddling clothes, these barrel wrappings that he himself Uh, could have uh, one day been buried in and wrapped the Christ child, the Christ uh, uh, babe. The Bible says here they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them uh, in the inn. Oh, beloved, he who is born before us is uh, born to die. Isaiah would write and tell us that when he was born, he would be despised and rejected of man. And so he was. I think about whenever Uriah was sent back to the battlefield. You remember who Uriah was? He was the husband of Bathsheba. You remember who Uriah was? He's one of David's mighty men. You remember who he was? He was one of the best friends that David had ever had. And yet he was despised and rejected by his own friends. Uh, beloved, you remember how that David sent the, uh, he sent the letter with him out to the battlefield. And how that his friends pulled away from him and he suffered and died all alone. Uriah did. Beloved, on a much greater scale, so it is with Christ. He suffered and he died all alone. And we get a picture of this. Uh, Even in his birth, the shadow of the cross was always upon him. As a matter of fact, his first spoken words in the Gospels was when Mary turned around and come back with Joseph and they found him in the temple. You remember what Jesus said to her. He said, I must be about my father's business. As a matter of fact, some people say, that uh, this subject or another is his greatest subject in his, all of his teachings in, the, in the, the gospel accounts. Beloved, he spoke more of his Father and pleasing his Father than he did of any other subject that he lifted his voice to address while here upon the earth. You remember just before his crucifixion, Jesus stood before Pilate, and this is what he said. He said, to this end was I born, uh, and to the, uh, for, this, uh, uh, for this end was I born, and for this cause... Came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. He stood before Pilate and said, Pilate, this is why I come. Let's get the show on the road, son. This is why I'm here. This may shock you, but it does not shock me. This may catch you off guard, but I've known it from the beginning of time. Yea, and even before time itself. I like what, um, I believe it, who was it? No, Vance Havner said, many years ago, he said in eternity past. He said there was a meeting. He said there were four people there. He said there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And he said, I was there. He said, I was in Christ. Beloved, whenever he was nailed to the cross theologically, I was nailed there with him. When he was put in the tomb, I was put in the tomb with him. And when he came out of the tomb triumphing over death, hell, sin, and the grave, I came out uh, uh, with him. I'm glad I stand in Christ Jesus. Free, beloved, free. Let me give you lastly and briefly the person of the Christmas story. He is the subject of all subjects. He is the preeminent one. If we as a church ever lose a sight of the fact that it's Jesus Christ, We are to preach and proclaim. Hey, we're to live the Christ life, the Christian life, and bring honor to him. If we ever lose sight of that, we've lost sight of the main theme of the Bible. Verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. An unknown author has written these words. If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been for money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been for pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. He said, but alas, our greatest need was forgiveness and redemption. So God sent us his son, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone else has written, Mary had a little lamb. That's what, three, four years ago, maybe five years ago, I preached on Mary Had a Little Lamb after the Christmas program. As a matter of fact, I wanted to get that out and try to preach it again. It just wouldn't get on me right. But someone has written these words, and I don't know who the author is. Mary Had a Little Lamb. His life was pure as snow. And everywhere the Father led, the Lamb was sure to go. He followed him to Calvary one dark and dreadful day. And there the lamb that Mary had washed all my sins away. I'm grateful for that. Did you know that he came for us, number one, collectively? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The greatest lover is seen in that verse, for God. The greatest degree, so loved. The greatest company, the world. The greatest act, That he gave the greatest gift, his only begotten son. The greatest opportunity, that whosoever. The greatest simplicity, believeth. The greatest attraction, in him. The greatest promise, should not perish. The greatest difference, but. Have the greatest certainty, have. The greatest possession, eternal life. Oh, beloved, thank God for that. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And yet another has written for God, the Lord of earth and heaven, so loved and longed to see forgiven, of the world in sin and pleasure mad, that he gave the greatest gift he had, his only begotten Son, and take our place. That whosoever, oh what grace, believeth placing simple trust, in him the righteous and the just, should not perish lost in sin but have everlasting life found only uh, uh, in him. In verse number 11, I like the wording here. Not only did he come for us collectively, but now, beloved, he came for us individually. I was saved, but I wasn't saved at the same time you were. If you're saved, you were not saved at the same time I was. We were probably, if we go around the room today and pinpoint where it was uh, when we got saved. Uh, Beloved, we probably have to say, uh, somebody might say, I was saved in a pine thicket. Somebody might say, I was in a youth revival. Somebody might say, I was in a lock in somewhere. Somebody else, well, is a Sunday morning service. Somebody else might say, well, uh, it was at my mother's knee. Uh, beloved, he saved us collectively, thank God. And one day when he says, come up hither, we're getting out of here. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, but then he, he came for us individually. I love what he says. He says, for unto you, why owe Y-O-U. You say, why would you point that out? Here's why I'd point that out. You know, in our King James Bible, uh, that the plural form of you or ye all or y'all uh, would be Y-E. He didn't say, for under ye is born this day, but he said, unto you individually. That means under Jane Holloway and under Shay Holloway and under Warren Chapman and under Billy Nelson and under Tracy Sneed and unto Amanda Merritt. He came for us individually. I'm going to tell you what made it for a happy night the night I was saved. It dawned upon me for the first time in my life. Not just that he died for the world and loved everybody else. Oh, but, beloved, when I realized he died for me and he came for me, oh, I stepped out of one world to a brand new world, thank God. Oh, I say hallelujah for that. He came for us individually. I thought about that. I thought about Nicodemus. He's one of the best men in the land yet he had to realize he'd come for him individually. I thought about Paul one of the smartest men in the land and yet he had to realize Christ died for me individually. I thought of the woman Sychar, the woman of Sychar she's one of the worst women in the land and yet he died for her and then there's the demoniac of Gadara one of the wildest men in the land and yet he died for him individually, came for him individually there's a lame man at the pool of Bethesda one of the most helpless men in the land. The man sick of the palsy born of four. Oh beloved he's, he's one of the most helpless men in the land and yet he came for every one of them individually so it is with me. He came to deliver us from sin, hell, death and the grave. In verse number 10 the angel says fear not fear not. And that cry goes out to God's children today fear not being alone he says for I will be with you always even unto the end of the world. Fear not your sins. for The apostle wrote that he is able to save them to the uttermost that believe. That word uttermost means completely. When I got in, I didn't get just knee high in. I didn't just get waist high in. But he brought me all the way in. Fear not your weakness. For in our weakness he is made strong. Fear not what the world can do to you. For Christ has overcome the world. Fear not what the devil can do to you, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Fear not what death can do to you. Ah, oh, beloved, he's the one who declares, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and of death. Fear not, child of God, what a Savior we serve. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last in recent years. In recent years, my uh, Keith Irwin asked this a couple of years ago. He said, what's your favorite Christmas song? And I said, that's easy. For years, it might have been something else. But the more I studied my Bible and the more I hear the song, Who is He in Yonder stall?" written by Hamby in 1866. I said, it's one of the most theologically sound hymns and songs that is sung around Christmas time. They sung it right here, and we shouted the lid off this place. Who is he in yonder stall? Listen to these words in closing today. Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall. Who is he in deep distress? Fasting in the wilderness. Tis the Lord a wondrous story. Tis the Lord the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him. Crown him Lord of all. Who is he the people bless? For his words of gentleness. Who is he to whom they bring all the sick and sorry? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Who is he, the gathering throng, greet with loud triumphant song? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Lo, at midnight, who is he? Praise in dark Gethsemane. Who is he on yonder tree? Dies in grief and agony. Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Who is he that from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from his throne rules through all the world alone? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Christmas story it's the story of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ in a manger in Bethlehem he came for the likes of all of us that ought to make a Lutheran want to shout the fact that he came for us I bless his name Donald you come get us a hymn of invitation Miss Angie you come